Topic of our Dhamma talk this evening is the controlling faculty of energy, part two. Now, before going on with some new aspects related to this controlling faculty of energy and energy in general, allow me to and briefly give a review of what we you know, talk, or what was mentioned you know, during the previous Satna Dhamma talk. So, and first, um, the term Viriya you know, was defined as Satna given by the Dhamma Sangani, then you know, its fourfold Satna definition was given, and its characteristic, just to you know, recall this, to refresh Shatna, your memory, its characteristic is forbearance in the face of difficulty and Satna, then its Satna function as Satna to support the associated mental states. And the manifestation of effort or energy is as non-collapse of the mind. So it's in the in the presence of uh, uh, pain, the mind and its associated certain factors tend to wither. So, in other words, the mind is just about to collapse, and here comes here come, comes on in uh, the effort as a mental factor, and it then supports the mind, and thus the mind does not suddenly collapse, and then. The proximate cause for effort is, for one thing, a sense of urgency, and then any ground for arousing of energy. Now, virya is one of the occasional, so ethically, an ethically variable mental state. And then, during the previous Satna Dhamma talk, brief mention was made of the four supreme efforts. So that's Satna as part of mentioning the various kinds of effort that Satna are given. And so among and this, the four supreme efforts then consist of the effort to prevent the arising of so far unarisen, unwholesome mental states. This in the Pani scriptural language is known as Samwara Padana. Then as the second one we have the effort to abandon the arisen, unwholesome mental states. So unwholesomeness has managed to infiltrate the mind, and Satna, that being the case, Satna, then it's this Satna second supreme effort with which Satna, the mind, or, or you know, such an unwholesome state, you know, will be abandoned. Then, as Satna, the third, form of supreme effort, we have the effort to arouse unarisen, wholesome states, and uh, those unarisen, wholesome states could be states of uh, generosity, of uh, virtue, of uh, the development of uh, the mind uh, through meditation, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, and so on and so forth.
And then finally and certain and in a, a different explanation from the Anguagenicaia, those certain wholesome factors then are given as certain the seven factors of enlightenment. So starting with the enlightenment factor of mindfulness, of investigation of states, of effort itself, and then of joy, rapture, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Now, the last among these four supreme efforts is the effort to maintain those wholesome mental states that have arisen already, that are present in this stream of consciousness. And then, in a review of different forms of effort, brief mention was made of atapa, namely, which translates as ardent energy, and that in turn has been explained by the Visuddhimagga of the burning up and consuming of mental defilements. So a person who has this quality, who manages to burn up and consume the mental defilements, such a person then is known as an atapi or someone who possesses this kind of an energy. Now, various certain factors were mentioned that certainly contribute to the arising of certain effort, and certainly you might certainly remember that effort is mentioned in a series of certain states that starts with a sense of urgency, some way in the Pali scriptural language, and then followed by chanda, namely desire to practice. And this chanda, as one question was raised today during one of the interviews, chanda is an ethically variable mental state or mental factor, and some it is defined as kattu kamata, so a desire to act. And that you know, then is further explained as uh, um, wanting to perform and attain uh, something, wanting to perform a certain task and then attain it or uh, reach it. And This desire to act itself is its certain characteristic, and certainly then its function is a need, not no, no, searching for you know, such an object that certainly one tries to attain or achieve. Its manifestation you know, then uh, is certainly as you know, working towards certain such. Uh, uh, such a state. And um, 
this satna desire, chanda, has to be distinguished from the reprehensible form of satna desire that arises together with satna greed, loba, as or uh, that arises together with uh, raga, namely lust. And so this desire to act, then when it arises together with wholesome mental factors, may then translate as a desire to achieve wholesome, uh, lofty states of mind, or just lofty states. Now, the four essences of Fatna the Dhamma were mentioned, as Satna were presented in the context of the Ratapanatna Sutta of the Majjhimanikaya. And Satna, those four essences of the Dhamma might then contribute to what? No, no. Becoming ardent or you know, contributing to a sense of urgency. So, wanting to seeing an urge, seeing a need you know, to you know, then you know, pursue the Dhamma. Now, during the, towards the end of the previous Dhamma talk, brief mention was made of walking meditation, and the Chankama Sutta, so the discourse on walking meditation from the Anguchanikaya, volume 3, section 29, then mentions five benefits that something can arise from walking meditation. And the second of those is that walking meditation is good for striving or expressed differently. It is It brings stamina for the practice of meditation. Now, so walking, when we engage in walking in meditation, as the Venerable Sadhu Pandita, Nibhivams of Burma has explained it on many occasions, helps to build effort and certain with that certain energy because it requires a double effort. The physical effort to maintain an upright walking posture and then the mental effort to be with whatever predominant object occurs. Now, today let us move on and overall go into more practical aspects. Now, the faculty of Fatna energy has been described in the Samyutta Nikaya, namely its 5th volume, section 197, and as quoted during the previous Satna talk as follows. Uh, 
And what is this faculty of energy? And the answer given by the Buddha is here, because Bhikkhunis and lay retreatants, the noble disciple dwells with energy aroused for the abandoning of what? Unwholesome states, this is correct. And Satna, does it end there? It does not end there, but something has to be taken one step further, namely, and the acquisition of uh, wholesome states. So the gaining of wholesome states. So there's a double action here, abandoning what is unwholesome, what is unskillful, what is not beneficial to us nor to others, and something then and to work in such a way then wholesome mental states can arise. Then, one is strong, firm in exertion, not shirking the responsibility of cultivating wholesome states. This is called the faculty of energy. Now, you might certainly remember from the previous certain talk that the controlling faculties are those factors, those five factors, which exercise control in their respective sphere or domain. And so the sphere in the case of effort is certainly that of exertion in the Pali scriptural language. And this sphere then of exertion covers the whole range, namely from effort on the one hand side to laziness, gosaja, on the other hand. And so it's that this controlling faculty of effort that certainly helps certainly to then uh, control this sphere. When on occasion, kosaja, laziness, has arisen in our practice, and certainly this may come in many different forms, then uh, the controlling faculty has to be, um, or has to become active. Now, in this field of exercising control in the respective fitness sphere, one approach of proceeding is to purify the mind of states that are not really helpful. So, to purify the mind of unwholesome states that interfere with the exertion of effort. Now, in this regard, there is certainly the Chetokila Sutta, namely the discourse on wilderness, the wilderness of the heart, and in that discourse, the Buddha speaks of five kinds of wildernesses in the heart. Now, 
the relevant passage here, and the passage is from the Majimanikaya, Volume 1, Section 101. The passage is as follows. Here a retreatant is doubtful, uncertain, undecided, and unconfident about the teacher, namely the Buddha. Unconfident about the Dhamma, the Sangha, and also the training. So the training in virtue, in concentration, and in wisdom. And thus, one's mind does what? Pardon me? It loses energy, yes. The mind loses energy and so it's no longer inclines to ardor, devotion, perseverance, and striving. Now, this particular aspect, so this connection between doubt and certain effort is a valid one. It is a connection that we can observe even outside of a retreat you know, when you know, doing an ordinary or working on you know, some ordinary worldly project. So let's say if we work you know, for some you know, organization or some private certain company and we've been uh, uh, asked to work on a certain project and if we cannot identify with this project let's say ethically it's questionable and maybe the outcome of this project is also questionable whether it's going to be beneficial for humanity or not a person whose mind is plagued by those kind of doubting you know, thoughts or considerations will apply himself or herself, what do you think, wholeheartedly to the project? Not. So, mm, the person, you know, the energy of you know, that person will clearly be drained. So those doubts have a tendency to drain one's energy. And so this happens uh, outside of uh, a retreat uh, context and it obviously also happens in the practice itself. So if the mind uh, gets uh, or is assaulted time and again by doubting of thoughts, by uncertainty, by plenty of questions and uh, whatnot, well, that then has an impact on the effort itself. Now, could you think of another unwholesome state that has an impact on effort, on our ability to exert effort? Sleepiness. Sleepiness. Uh, yes, we will. That's a good point, and uh, I will say much more about this in a little while. Okay. What's that? Boredom. Boredom, yes, Satna, you can, yeah, that's Satna, that's a good point. Still, some more. From that same Chetukila Sutta, who knows? Well, you know, imagine the following situation. 
So you're here uh, on, uh, you're part of this uh, retreat, and uh, let us imagine you are um, caught up in a vendetta. Vendetta with a, a fellow yogi, and <laughs> somehow or other, somehow or other, Mm, there's a certain, well, displeasure about that Satna other yogi, and Satna then, mm, well, a certain mental state will be there, namely anger, displeasure. And even though oneself as well as this other retreatant, are both engaged in a noble task, namely of developing the mind, of purifying the mind, and so on, working towards the realization of Nibbana one day, yet something else comes up and interferes. So, the Buddha says, and again I'm quoting from that same discourse, the Chetukila Sutta, again, a retreatant is angry and displeased with his or her companions in the holy life, resentful and callous towards them. Thus, his or her mind does not incline to ardor, devotion, perseverance, and striving. So, to be aware of the impact that the unwholesome mental factor or the mental defilement, the hindrance of doubt can have on our ability to exert effort. And then the same thing also goes to be aware of the negative impact that anger, resentment, displeasure can have on our ability to exert effort. Which so, if we want to well, practice mm, wholeheartedly and certainly peacefully, then mm, having or being engaged in a vendetta with a fellow retreatant is certainly like the worst thing you can do. You'll mess up your own retreat mm, quite a bit. However, these kind of things do happen on occasion. Not necessarily here, but there have been fights over ceiling fans. There have been fights over fluorescent lights on or off and the like. Now, allow me not to go further into details. No, Barihat suggested uh, sloth and torpor. 
So dinamida, which is yet another hindrance. So just uh, no, recognize mm, that anger is a hindrance, sloth and torpor is a hindrance, and uh, now then now we have uh, now also uh, uh, doubt. So those certain uh, three hindrances, as the text certainly explained, already have a negative impact on our ability to exert effort. Now, the Bhattisamita Magga, which is certain of the path of discrimination, a text that most likely precedes the Visuddhi Magga, that Sapna Patisambida Magga, in its fourth chapter, or paragraph four, speaks of the five controlling faculties in a very interesting way. Namely, it says, so first it speaks of developing, developing faith, and then next developing uh, effort. So it says, the five controlling faculties are being uh, developed in ten aspects. When one is abandoning laziness, gosaja, then with this, one is developing what? Energy. So when one abandons one thing, namely the extreme of laziness, quite naturally one gives Satna energy effort a chance to arise. When one is developing the controlling faculty of energy, one by so doing is abandoning what? Very simple. Laziness. So, so you focus on one, you focus on the controlling the faculty of energy, you develop this, and quite the stronger the energy gets, the more your laziness subsides. Now, related, or part of, or laziness is part of Fatna, the mental factor of sloth in the Pali scripture language given as Tina. And that sloth then has been described as by the Dhamma Sangani as the indisposition of the mind, unpreparedness of the mind for good action, sluggishness of mind. And modern synonyms for it would be dullness of the mind, idleness, disinclination to action, indolence, and lace, and things like this. Lack of enthusiasm would be another way of expressing things. Now, the mental factor of sloth is said to have the characteristic of a lack of driving power. So you know, there's just no energy there, nothing that uh, propels you in your practice. And please do notice its function, which is as or which is to 
dispel energy. So we have here a very clear contrast between um, the energy on the one hand side and you know, then sloth tina on the other hand. So the function of a sloth is simply to drain the mind of energy. So whenever sloth has an opportunity you know, to arise in the stream of consciousness, if earlier on one had some energy, well, that whatever is satna left there you know, then gets satna drained. Now, a number of footnote ways have been proposed you know, by you know, the Buddha and certain commentators to you know, dispel sloth and torpor. And the first and foremost is uh, mindfulness itself. So this is an obvious certain approach. Now, should, however, mindfulness does not or not work as a mental factor to overcome the sloth and torpor, then one could, the commentators suggest, could consider the following. The first one is to know that overeating is a cause of sloth and torpor. And certainly, as mentioned already during the previous Nama talk, moderation in eating will help Putna to develop our energy factor. Now, if session, sitting session after sitting session, you fall asleep, and suddenly you are sound asleep, maybe even snoring for 20 minutes non-stop and entertaining your fellow yogis, then it might be time to do what? <laughs> what? Go to bed. <laughs> well, the commentator recommended change of posture, so going to bed would actually fulfill what you're saying. <laughs> but, of course, I cannot subscribe to this. And so, so in the Masi tradition, the uh, preferred postures certainly had to engage in uh, are you know, the sitting posture and the walking posture. So if we you know, then realize that the sitting posture doesn't work and we keep falling asleep, you know, then you know, we might as well consider getting up and, uh, and then uh, engaging in you know, the walking meditation. Now, Establishing the perception of light has been you know, suggested, namely as, as a third certain way of dispelling sloth and certain torpor, and here uh, this has been explained as a clarity of cognition, so ensuring you know, that our cognition is certainly clear. Staying in the open air, associating with or association with energetic uh, fellow yogis, and certainly then maybe listening to a suitable discourse, ideally one on well uh, arousing effort. Now, 
there are a number of you know, reflections that have been proposed by you know, commentators. You know, also in the Visuddhimagga, we find you know, quite a number of you know, those, and one of them is, as mentioned in the 131st discourse of the Majjhima Nikaya, one of them is recollection of death or on death. Namely, in the words of, in the following words, today the effort should be made. Who knows if tomorrow death will come. So we're clearly not getting younger, but rather second, certain by second, we are growing older. Now we might ponder another uh, reflection, namely that the Buddha himself very much praised full application of energy, and not only praised it, but he lived it, and thus the best way to honor the Buddha is simply to practice Satna the Dhamma and Satna to apply energy to our practice. Now, there is a longer Discourse in the Anguttara Nikaya, Volume 4, Section 85, in which we find the Buddha giving advice to Elder Moggallana, who was nodding. And so from far away, the Buddha realized that he was nodding, so he appeared in Moggallana's mind and asking the question, are you drowsy, Moggallana? Are you drowsy? And uh, Elder Moggallana replied, Yes, Venerable Sir. So, the first piece of advice that the Buddha offers is to then not give attention to the particular type of thought that leads time and again to the arising of sloth and torpor. So if you find that frequently the mind is attacked by sloth and torpor, and you further and you then notice that this happens every time you are engaged in a particular type of thinking, then maybe stop dwelling on this and instead give attention to some more energy-inducing thought. Or one might, the Buddha recommends, think and reflect on pass in the mind on uh, on dhamma passages of the dhamma that one has heard and learned and reviewed those or else then learn learn or recite the verses of dhamma 
but please not out loud and certainly definitely not here in the hall. Or if all of the so far mentioned ways of dealing with sloth and torpor do not work, then the Buddha goes on to suggest one should rub one's ears and if this suddenly doesn't work, then wash one's sudden eyes with cold water, or as suddenly some people have certainly successfully done, take a shower with ice cold water. That usually does the trick. <laughs> and then we have establishing an inner perception of light, so that was mentioned already earlier on, and or else the Buddha recommends to engage in walking meditation, so being mindful to walk up and down with one's senses turned inwards. And so if all of these seven approaches satna do not satna work then to gracefully surrender to the sloth and torpor and go and sleep no the buddha has spoken of satna the proximate cause for you know, the arising of energy as being wise attention. So wise attention that is geared you know, towards certain, or wise attention in regard to the four elements of striving or elements of effort. And those elements of effort datu in the Pani scriptural language uh, have been given as or are mentioned in the following passage given in the fifth volume of the Samyutta Nikaya, section 105. And there it says, and it's under the heading of denourishing sloth and satna torpor, there is the element of rousing one's energy, the element of exertion, and satna then the element of continuous exertion, frequently giving wise attention to these, this is the denourishing of the arising of sloth and torpor that has or that have not yet arisen and the increase and strengthening of sloth and torpor that's uh, have already uh, uh, arisen. Yes, okay. Now, what we have written here as uh, no, the first one, the element of arousal, that is referred to in Pali as Arambadatu and also explained as Satna, the initial effort made. So the initial effort made to 
the arrangements that one needs to make to come on a retreat. So, you know, making arrangements at one's at the workplace, arrangement you know, with regard to one's family, you know, friends, and so on. Then the journey to you know, the retreat, Satna Center, and then the effort you know, to you know, settle in and Satna, then to get started in the practice. This much is good, but not quite good enough. And Satna, one's effort Satna, then you know, needs to be boosted, especially when you know, the hindrances arise. So the five controlling hindrances, and those you know, represent to beginning you know, retreatants some major obstacles. So in order to overcome those certain hindrances, we you know, then apply you know, what is known as nikamadatu in Pali or in English as stepped up or boosted effort. So you know, we give our effort a, a push. Now, with this additional effort, and then you know, the hindrances will be overcome, the practice goes on, and then uh, what is in order to ultimately realize Satna the Dhamma, ever higher levels of Satna effort need to be there, and Satna that Satna then is referred to as culminating effort. Barakamadatu in the Pali the scriptural language. Now, some other ways of overcoming sloth and torpor have been recommended. The Venerable Sadhu Pandita Bhivams of Fatna Burma very much speaks in praise of using the mental factor of aiming or vitaka which is certainly one of those certain bakinakas occasional mental factors which are ethically um, variable and so with aiming or sloth and torpor has a tendency to cause the mind to shrink or to wither to shrivel and it is this mental factor of aiming that helps to then open up the mind and thus then drives the sloth and torpor away. Now, you will surely remember your first Satna days of Fatna, this retreat. So for many of you, some sloth and torpor was present. And what happened to it? Is it still there? <laughs> well, for the most part, hopefully, <laughs> it's greatly reduced. On occasion, however, sloth and torpor might still arise. So the advice certainly here is, in the case of footness, sloth and torpor, 
all we need to do is just keep going with our practice. So we just keep patiently, keep observing whatever predominant object that comes up in the sitting and walking meditation. And with this, gradually, our energy will increase. And with this, suddenly, sloth and torpor are likely, less likely to arise. Now, in terms of an attitude towards suddenness, sloth, and torpor, when sloth and torpor comes up, well, some retreatants might suddenly see this as a great misfortune, but in the end, that's really not the case. One can take a very constructive outlook by saying, well, I have at least a great opportunity here, namely to learn something about sloth and torpor. And so to learn about its nature, maybe also to learn about the early warning signs that herald the coming of another boat of sloth and torpor. And we might even learn about certain factors that cause sloth and torpor. So learning in these different ways, as well as learning ways to overcome the sloth and torpor, will greatly help us to get a handle on it. And with this then, the mind is, or the controlling faculty of energy, then is exercising control in its certain respective field or sphere, namely that of exertion. Now, the last sitting session of the day usually offers a wonderful opportunity to work with sloth and torpor. So one has worked hard throughout the day, and then for quite a number of retreatants, some degree of fitness, sloth and torpor comes in. I'm not saying for all, but for some. And in this regard, what is really helpful to pay attention to is, namely, to keep a close eye or to recognize the inactivity of the mind as quickly as possible. So you sit down for your eight to nine sitting session, and suddenly this was preceded by some shorter walking meditation. So the body is still quite quite energetic. The mind is also quite energetic. So you sit down, you close your eyes, you observe your rise and fall for maybe five, ten minutes, and you might notice how your mind becomes increasingly inactive. Be careful right there. And so notice that. Notice how the mind becomes inactive and then give it a good certain push and to make sure that it remains active. And all it takes is the mind to be inactive for just a couple of fitness seconds and uh, you might find your head nodding. You might also want to pay attention to the sitting posture. So when... 
mm, the sitting posture or the body starts suddenly slouching, then one can take this as a sign for uh, approaching sloth and torpor. The obvious thing to do is obviously or is to straighten one's sudden posture. Aside of from Burma, who came to Lumbini on a visit, totally unrelated, Sado, he came on a pilgrimage, but who was apparently teaching meditation, recommended the following for sloth and torpor, namely, to sit there, so with one hand placed on the palm of the other, and with the two thumbs touching. And he said, as long as suddenly the thumbs are touching each other, the mind will be alert. But practice shows as soon as suddenly the two thumbs are no longer touching, sloth and torpor is suddenly just about to arise. Now, don't suddenly believe what I'm saying. And check it out yourselves. Uh, and most likely you, know, you find you, know, you might find sadness um, uh, or uh, find this piece of advice useful now when it comes to this certain controlling faculty of effort, there are certain practical aspects that we need to be familiar with. So for one thing, we may want to, when we aim the mind, the observing mind, towards an object, and then, with the help of effort, propel the observing mind towards the object so that it's actually reaching the object. In this, we want to make sure that the observing mind is not overshooting the object nor falling short of the object. Now, when we exert too much effort, then the mind is likely to overshoot the object. When you know, there is too little effort, then you know, the observing mind is likely to fall short of the object. The simile that the Venerable Sairo Panita Bhimams of Burma uh, loves to give in this connection is of what? Well, of a potato. So you sit there and you're at the lunch table and potatoes are part of the meal. And so you've got your fork in the hand and next to be gobbled up is a potato. So 
And then, first of all, you have to aim your fork so that it aim it certainly right to the center of the potato. And certainly, will this be enough to actually get your your fork there? This will be not enough. And you need to then apply effort or energy, exert an effort, and with this satna then the hand moves and the fork moves towards the potato and then eventually will hit the potato. Now, if uh, uh, your effort is in excess, you might overshoot Satna, uh, uh, this lovely potato. If the effort is lacking, uh, then uh, uh, you might Satna uh, end up with a miss. <laughs> Again, from a practical point of Satna view, just like continuity of mindfulness is important to further strengthen our mind, our overall mindfulness, so too continuity of effort throughout the day over many days in a row will contribute to a strengthening of our effort. And so then effort needs to be put in during the sitting meditation, during the walking meditation, even during the general activities. Now, it's not just a matter of arousing energy, but it's also a matter of ensuring that our energy or effort is balanced. And at times when the effort is effort certainly exerted in our meditation practice is in excess at such a point that we might suddenly find that suddenly the mind becomes suddenly pretty restless the body also becomes suddenly restless the mind suddenly will be characterized by mental scattering and with this suddenly one's concentration is likely to then decrease um, as a whole one feels suddenly over tight very much tensed up so if ever you find yourself in that kind of a state then recognize quickly recognize what is going on and suddenly then the advice would be to relax a bit to back off a bit and maybe to open up the senses to some extent. Now, excessive effort in the Pali scripture language has been referred to as acharadaviriya, and then on the other hand, we have deficient effort, which is known in the Pali scripture language as Atilina Virya. 
And that satna then manifests as uh, laziness, as certain unwillingness to you know, practice, to you know, exert certain effort, unwillingness to perform wholesome you know, deeds. So in this case, the mind will not necessarily be you know, very distracted, but, uh, well, as certain mentioned, laziness is there in the body, it will not be all that certain tensed up. So in this case, certainly, clearly, we want to increase or boost our effort. Now, to give you some practical examples from the meditation practice that certainly require exertion of effort. So we might be, in the course of fitness, several weeks of intensive practice, we might experience various challenging physical formations such as itches, such as the restlessness of the body, various movements of the body, pains, hardness, pressure, heat in the buttocks, stiffness in the back, and then in terms of mental challenging formations, the hindrances come up, the mind is exhausted, then later on one might find one certain practice fluctuating up and setting it down and then one might at times find the following situation occurring the time and again the sitting posture slouches the chin ends up on the chest and the mind ends up in a semi and rather dull sluggish shutness state so in all of these certain cases effort needs to be exerted when sloth and torpor comes in or tries to come in then we want to recognize this quickly and suddenly then take the respective measures now, during the first certain few days of a retreat, much shutness, sloth, and torpor can arise, and suddenness at that point, the effort is still quite certain and weak, but gradually, as one works certain with the hindrances, then one certain energy level increases with this, it's easier to exert certain effort. Now, over a long period of time, one does have to actively exert certain effort. So again and again, one has to give oneself this certain small little push. Now, the mental factor of effort over time itself will undergo changes. And what meditators experience is if earlier on one's effort tends to be or could be characterized as effortful effort, later on that effort becomes effortless effort. And that makes a big, big difference. So then there's less of this 
uh, trying hard, uh, squeezing mm, some energy out of one's sadness system. So the energy then flows quite suddenly naturally. It's easy to sit upright. There's no effort required for this. It's easy to sit for a longer period of time. So do know that even though at first you might still have to put in quite a number or the effort that is more of an effortful nature, later on things suddenly will become easier. From a practical point of view, we might certainly keep, want to keep in mind that if our level of exertion is certainly somewhere along the lower end, then overall we will, or we might, well, gain some benefits, or we will gain some benefits. If our exertion of effort is moderate, then we're likely to gain moderate benefits from the practice. If, however, we apply ourselves wholeheartedly, so full application of effort is there, then, and please do notice, I'm speaking of balanced effort, then we're likely to gain major benefits. So, like scientific law, what we put into our practice, that we will also get out of the practice. Now, the Patisambhita Magga that certainly has been mentioned already has in that same chapter, namely chapter 4, paragraph 3, speaks of five of certain ways of purifying the five controlling faculties. And those ways, in the case of the controlling faculty of energy, are given as follows. One avoids idle persons. So one rather associates with those who are more on the energetic side. So one cultivates and frequents and honors energetic persons and then you know, reviews the right the four you know, right and the right endeavors and in this way the energy faculty is purified in these three aspects so if the mind is purified of unwholesome states what certain remains then or certain certain unwholesome qualities what certain remains are is the wholesome quality of energy so to stress it again 
when, when it comes to this controlling faculty of Fitna energy, it's good to you know, arouse it and certain to develop it certain you know, to certain strength, but equally important is you know, to you know, find a balanced form of Fitna energy and Satna effort. Too much of it, as we've seen, is not helpful. Too little of it is equally not helpful. So just the right amount of time. With this then, quite naturally, the question arises, how do I manage to you know, then you know, bring about such balanced effort? And the answer to this would be, Mindfulness. Mindfulness here helps in this regard, yes? Concentration. Concentration. Well, the point, from a practical point of view, the point certainly here is by trial and error. So on occasion, we make a mistake. So we exert ourselves too much, we get all tensed up, we get all restless physically as well as mentally. We realize this does not work and certainly from this we learn and certainly the next time around when it comes to, when the time comes to apply or exert effort, we'll then stay away from that extreme form of too excessive effort. And then at other times, we might think, well, oh, excessive effort doesn't work, so then let me slacken off a lot. And that then leads to the opposite, that one ends up taking frequent naps, and the naps are getting longer and longer, and so then nothing much happens in one's practice. Sooner or later one realizes this is not working either. And Satna then, it becomes just another learning experience. And Satna one then realizes, well, so the balance must be somewhere in between. And gradually, one finds that Satna form of balanced effort. Now, the early days of one's practice are as the Venerable Sadhu Pandita Bhimams of Burma has expressed in his book in this Satna very life, the early days of practice are characterized by an effort that is pretty unsteady. Sometimes it's balanced, but on many occasions it will not be balanced. So just know that this is the case and Satna then work over time, work towards an effort that is more and more balanced. Allow me to conclude today's Dhamma talk with a short Dhammapada verse, namely number three. Those who always make a firm and I'm adding a balanced effort and meditate continuously. These wise ones will experience Nibbana, the supreme freedom from bondage. And Satna, this is it for today.